beyond these. And uh, so they were looking at Okay, that's a word of prayer, and there we go. Father in heaven, we are thankful for today, <laughs> for the beauty of the morning, and for the opportunity to meet in your house today to learn about you, and to also, of course, to worship you in the hour to come. Thank you, Lord, for all the people that you've called out today uh, to meet to do these very things. We ask you to be with the Armstrongs today, and uh, for the mercy of the heal, and with others, Lord, that are sick and could not be here with us today. Uh, thank you for all your blessings, even in the midst of trouble, uh, for your ever-present help. Uh, thank you for that. Ask Lord to be with the other classes that they need to, that your spirit will be upon your people this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Okay, so if you weren't here for the last couple of weeks, we're taking a look at <clears throat> true worship and the idea that uh, we, who do we worship? How do we worship? Why do we worship? Who worships? All these things we're going to we're examine in this lesson and uh, see if we can help realign some of the things that are maybe going to rot. Okay, um, and and hopefully that we're, we're that as the verse there, John four twenty three talks about at the very top of the page, being the worshippers that the Father is seeking. Okay, that's that's the key. Okay, because if He's not pleased with our worship, then we meet in vain. Okay, because why we practice something that's not being heard or appreciated, if you will. Uh, but that's kind of where we are. Okay, and we started the first part of the lesson just talking about worship in general. But this lesson here, lesson two, is why do we worship God? And what is it about God that causes us to worship Him? Okay? And we spent all of last week discussing omniscience. And we didn't get very far. We got through the first attribute here, and that was enough. And it took us all hour to discuss that. But we're now on... Omnipresent. In fact, I skipped over one. This is to be omnipresence, okay, not omnipotence. Okay, so just rule for presence. Omnipresence. We might get to omnipotence today. We, we might actually get that far. Okay. Omnipresence. Um, yeah, we were talking last week, and we're going to continue to talk about it in these lessons here, that if your starting point for trying to understand who God is is looking at yourself and thinking that God is superhuman, you're already in trouble. He's not superhuman. He is completely different than we are. And so therefore, if you start with the shadow and try to figure out what the object is, you may get kind of an idea of the shape of it, but that's it. Think about the shadow of a tree. If you had never seen a tree before in your entire life, you may look at the shadow and see all the spokes coming off of the, the, the beam, and you might get an idea of its height. Okay? But that's only if the, the light source is accurate to your perspective. Because if the light source is much lower, the height of the shadow is much bigger than the actual object. You know that, of course, and if it's above it, the shadow is much shorter, so we can't even judge that correctly. But you wouldn't get a sense of color or depth from any of those things. The shadow is two-dimensional. And that's what we are. We are a shadow of who God is. Okay? So you don't start with the shadow and try to figure out intently by examining the shadow what the actual object is that's casting the shadow is. And that is constantly what we do. We start with, I hate to say this, we start with what our basis of reality is located in. Okay, it tells us really where our hearts are located. If we constantly define the things that God has made and created and around us uh, by us, if we are the measuring stick, we're always going to fall up short on these things, okay? In everything, 
God is the measuring stick, and we fall short from him. So we need to change our perspective about thinking about God. If, if we find something that we, as human beings, can relate to with God because of the fact that we bear his image, it's not that you say, well, God is just like me. See, that's the, that's the wrong thinking. And in that, whatever that is, is I am just like God. Because then that makes him the source and not the person. Does that make sense? Okay, and this is a thinking change. Okay, because in everything else that we have and relate to, humankind is the measuring stick. Okay? But the, for the Christian, God is the measuring stick. Right? We, we need to think like that the entire time. Okay, so we're going to look this morning at something that he does not share with us again. These, we're talking about the uniqueness of things. And remember, when I was constructing this lesson, I was trying to find ways by which that we as human beings discuss these things and work backwards from that in its error. Okay? So, omnipresent. God is not locked to a... I think about the word I'm asking. Omnipresent. He's not locked into a position. position, or I put location. Either one will be just fine. Okay, he's not locked. All right. So let's take a look at Acts. There, does anyone have that ready to go? I do. Okay. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me? Says the Lord. Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Okay, now why did I put this in here? Because if you ask most people, where is God? He's in heaven. He's in heaven, right? He's in heaven. Oh, he's in heaven. That means he's not here, right? How can God see me? He's in heaven. If you ask anybody, where is he looking? Well, he's up there and he's looking down on us, right? Okay, but here we have a text here that says, Heaven is my throne. Now it says that. It says, if there's going to be a dwelling place for God, okay, heaven. You know why he's in heaven and, and why he doesn't call earth his, his, his dwelling place or his throne? There's some, there's some speculation here, but we're going to get to another attribute of him later on. It starts with an H and ends with an Oli. <laughs> you know what it is? George and Sheila do. Holy. Okay, he's holy. He's separate. And the earth, when you think about what the earth and the world is, is one of the enemies. Of God, okay. It's his footstool. It's his footstool, yeah. <laughs> and he's in heaven, separate from. That's one of those things that help define that. He doesn't, you know. But anyways, that that's one. If this is just figurative language, which goes on. What kind of house will you build for me? Says the Lord. Or what, what is the place of my rest? What kind of house are you going to build for God? You, you remember the whole thing here with the temple and David. Okay. Now he ends up. The temple is created, and before that, there was the pattern of it, and what? The tabernacle. And was the Holy of Holies a special place where God was located? Yeah. You can say yes. Yeah. Because it's not that he poured his entire essence into that location. He's still everywhere else. It's just that that was one special place where he said, this is holy, and you're not going to come in here into my presence without any blood and all those things that would go on with doing those things. Um, so what we have here again, when people look at these passages, they think he is geolocated in one place. But God's in heaven, okay? Where is the cor corporal body of Jesus Christ? Right now. At the right hand of God. Okay, and, and if you had to give a location for that, where is he located? The third heaven. Okay, he's in heaven, okay? But 
God is also something else. He's spirit. He's spirit. Yeah, he's spirit. And he has this thing at the end, by the way, in verse 50, did not my hand make all these things? Okay? Um, I mean, we do make things in our own lives that are bigger than we are. But that's not his point. His point is, I made all this. What are you going to make for me? That's going to suffice for, for, you're making something out of something I made, and you're going to make that, make a house for me out of something that I've created. It doesn't make any sense. That's kind of the ridiculous nature of what this is. Get your own dirt. Yeah, that's right. So, at any rate, this is one of those passages that people say, well, here it says right here that he's in heaven. He calls earth his footstool. Yeah, that's that's also a way of saying, hey, I'm in, I'm in power over all these things. I, my throne is in heaven, and earth is where I put my feet. Uh, that's one of those things, too. Okay, so let me ask the simple question. You know the answer. Where is God right now? Where is God at this very moment? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Isn't that one of the parts of the catechism, by the way? It's one of the first couple questions we get. Where is God? God is everywhere. Okay, he is omnipresent. Always, all present. Okay? And uh, there's no place that we can run and hide. In fact, it's almost like, where can I go from your presence? Do you remember that? Where can I hide from your, uh, I don't know if the word is love or face right there, I'm not sure, but uh, regardless is that his point is, I can't go anywhere that you can't see me or find me. Okay? And part of this comes with the added knowledge that we have nowadays. When, in ancient times, they knew about the stars, do you think they had any idea that there were other, other planets? in ancient times, in biblical times? What do you think? I'm just, I'm just a speculation. We don't know. I don't think they did, okay? They didn't have the optics to see <coughs> out there, and we see a twinkling planet, we, we follow a star, if we're not educated any better. That's right. They, they knew about the stars and the constellations, because the scripture talks about Orion and the Pleiades and so forth. Right. They knew some things like that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Whether they understood that there was other planets other than Earth. Right. We don't know. Do you think they knew about black holes? No. No. Do you think they knew about comets? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, asteroids? They probably saw them, but they didn't know what they were. My point about this is that as we've been able to, by God's allowance, to see further into space and to see these things, it's kind of like when I, when I talk about the microscope digging deeper and deeper and deeper at the small level, we see so much more out there that God has created beyond what he allows us to perceive with the naked eye. Okay? And my point about this is this, is that as we keep looking out there and seeing all these things, <coughs> we also know that God is completely present <coughs> out there. He's completely omnipresent in all of his creation. So we may not, never be able to travel to anywhere but our moon, okay, as people, but God has gone beyond that. He is in every part of the universe, and he is always present all the time, everywhere there. He knows about the stars that are forming. He knows about the stars that are clashing and colliding with each other. He knows about all those planets out there that we have no name for, because he made them and he maintains them. Okay? So God is just not omnipresent here on Earth. But he is omnipresent everywhere. And how, how small do you think the detail of God's omnipresence goes. Is he in the cellular level? Is he in the atomic level? All things through him consist. Yeah, all things. 
So his omnipresence continues into the inner workings of your body. True about that? His, his omnipresence continues into the workings and holdings of these pews that were here, here, the structural integrity of them, all the things that make this solid. Okay, it doesn't happen, and we're, we're talking a little bit about omnipotence coming up here in a second. If he's everywhere, he's aware of all things. That goes to his omniscience, correct? Remember, God isn't learning. He's not passive. Okay, he's not passive about this. He is active in this. The reason this is solid today is because God wills it to be so. If at any point God wills it not to be, what's going to happen to him? It's going to change. What about him walking on water when he was on, on earth? What do you think was there? We, we don't know how he did that. He could have just overridden the rules of gravity and walked across. He could have also changed the molecular structure of the water so it supported him as he walked across. He could have changed his own body. He could have done a whole bunch of things. When the creator wants to do something, he can break his own rules. And he does. Okay, that's what we call <clears throat> miracles. Okay, that's why he's so astonished they don't believe that. It's because they don't believe that he's in control of everything to begin with. Okay, these are all related to these omnis. So you hear me talking about omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence at the same time because they go together so well. Okay, let's go ahead and look at John four twenty-four. That's the verse after our verse we have at the very top there. Um, God is not blank. This would be a little harder word to figure out. But I think you'll maybe get it after you look up the verse. They wouldn't have John 4, 24. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay. So there it is. There's the verse. Um, so God is not corporeal. Okay? Yeah. <coughs> what does corporeal mean? Right. Flesh and blood. Yeah. With the exception of Jesus Christ, who has a body now. Okay? Go ahead. Yeah. Can you spell that? Sure. <laughs> They put it on the board. I have spell check on my computer, so I don't have to worry about it too much. Oreo. Okay. Did I miss one? Yes, I did. That's co that's that's corporeal. That's corporeal. Just a minute. Corporeal. There we go. Is that better? Thank you. All right. Meaning. No physical body. Um, again, these are these are the things that make God unique. So when God made man physical, a physical body, that was different than God. Do you get that? Mm -hmm. And in the same time, he says about mankind, about man, Adam, that he was made in the image of God. Okay, this is kind of interesting because we would uh, the shadow analogy. We would say that the shadow doesn't have substance. It's the thing casting the shadow that has substance. The tree versus the shadow. You can go and touch the tree. The shadow, you can put your hand down there, but the light changes. Your hand stays there. You can't feel the shadow move. Right? But here we're talking about corporal flesh and blood. Adam is formed out of the dust of the earth, and yet, as a physical being, he is a shadow of God. You see how flipped our thinking God as spirit is the greater reality. Man as flesh is lesser than. Okay, it has to be that way. Okay, because man was, again, was made by God. Do we have spirits as people? But our spirits are trapped to what? Yeah, into one location. Is this a trait that God shares with his people? Omnipresence. No. No. He does not share that with him. 
Is there any, any indication in Scripture that when the dead are raised and we're with God, that we suddenly gain omnipresence? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Where are the saints located? They have a location. With Him. Yeah, in heaven. And what do they, they have a thing that they're doing. They're worshiping God. Okay? So this is one thing that we're not going to gain. It's uniquely to God. We're not also going to gain omniscience either. I think God will allow us to continue to learn. He is the inexhaustible subject material. And I think he allows us the capacity to continue to learn about him throughout eternity. A subject that can never be fully exhausted. Think about that for a moment. Okay? And we are not going to be omnipotent. We're not going to be all-powerful. But he is going to share so that we're, we're told we're going to rule and reign with him. And that's, that's a demonstration of power. George, you had a comment? Yeah, the, this whole thing about us being here as material individuals, when we die, we become spirit and soul. We don't have a body until he comes again and he gives us a glorified body, mm -hmm. which is not a redone earthly body, mm -hmm. but it is a, a different kind of body. Right. And it says very carefully throughout the scriptures that we must be changed. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we won't be fit for his presence. That has to do with his holiness. Mm -hmm. And we, we won't be able to stay there because if, if we have some kind of an earthly body, we'll have to have oxygen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And whatever place God is, none of those things are necessary. Right. The dependencies, oh, hands went up on those right away. The dependencies of the human form are, are different. Okay, Limitations. But, yes. And the one constant, though, is that we are dependent on one person. That's God. Okay, if God ever should cease to exist, it's not going to happen. Yeah. But if that would ever happen, so would we. Okay, we're that dependent. Dr. Ray, the pastor. Uh, this sort of uh, put a pinhole in the black belt that is my understanding. I have always had a problem since as early as I ever heard that our function will be to worship God. And, you know, as a child, I thought, how boring well, is sure. this? Sure. <laughs> and I've had that problem until I think this moment when you say God's uh, being is inexhaustible. Like, you, you marvel at nature as a reflection. Yes. And if then, you know, that marble will transcend to him, and that, that's pretty wonderful. I think, again, this is one of those types of shadows when you think about are we as humankind ever going to exhaust the knowledge that God has given us to, to, to learn about the world in which we live in? I don't think so. I think he's going to come again, and we're still going to be writing textbooks about what he's done, you know. I'm even talking about people who have no idea who God is. Okay, people who are doing science and about the human body. Remember, we're just now fooling with the atomic level. I said that there were levels beyond the atomic level. They're aware of, but they don't know what to do with that yet because we don't have the technology yet to let us manipulate those things. How many centuries are going to take for that to happen? I believe they're going to find something smaller than those. And so on and so forth. It's inexhaustible here. And God made this place finite as a beginning. As an end. He does not have either. Okay? The inexhaustible subject material. And again, and that's not science's idea that this is a <coughs> temporary dwelling place. 
because they say Mother Nature will just keep it going on and on forever and ever and ever. And that's, that's beyond wishful thinking. We all yeah. know that, that everything dies. Yeah. It can't go on forever. Okay. Pastor? <clears throat> I was going to say that biblically they talk, uh, Paul talks about the mortal putting on immortality. That's right. Mm -hmm. And he says that flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. So it kind of agrees with what uh, George was saying there. And then with regard to Dr. A, I just let, I, I have this in my sermons. Oh, they do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always amazed with how the spirit of God works. I have something to say about that the ever, God's ever mystery to us. Yes. Yeah. How could we ever presume to understand who God is? It's just, it's the height of arrogance when we say it's right. Along those lines, too, about the body and the fact that we're going to be there. Remember that Paul says that it's for like the seed. What's put in the ground is unlike what comes up. But what has to happen to the seed to let that happen? It has to, it has to die. The seed dies and the plant springs from it. Is this, was that done by God on purpose or did Paul just find that wonderful coincidental thing that happened out there? Did God do that on purpose? Because remember, it's not Paul who's writing. Who is it? Who's writing? See, we God. forget. God. It's not Paul who's writing. It's God who's writing through Paul. The creator who made the seed and the plant told Paul to write these things down for us to understand those things. We start too often with the lower the lower thing. We start with people. That's not high enough. That's what I'm trying to get us to understand. We have a much bigger, <laughs> I can't even tell you the scope. We can't even see the scope. I'll give you an idea of the scope. <laughs> Um, Louis is a Giglio. He talks about the universe, and he has this. He starts showing. Yeah, but he was showing us just in the universe, our planet versus the largest star they know, and they kept showing us. They they start with Earth, and they would go to a bigger planet, and they show us Jupiter, and like wow, Earth is so small. Then they show us the Sun, and Jupiter looks really small. They say, well, actually, our star is very small. And they start showing bigger stars and bigger stars and bigger stars, and then you get to Betelgeuse. And then you think that's the biggest star that's out there. And then they go to Canis. Canis 9. And it's gigantic. You can't even see our sun in retrospect. You can't get it in the same picture. That's our sun, which makes our Earth... You can't see it. And God is in control of all these things. And even that ratio of the microscopic Earth to Canis 9 is not an accurate representation of man to God. Okay, he shows us in nature that there's something so much bigger than us, but he's greater than these things. I mean, just, it's just wonderful. We live in a great time. I mean, we're dealing with apostasy and we're dealing with uh, attacks on the faith, but God is showing us now in times that people couldn't understand beforehand. In both directions, larger and smaller, and he's allowing us to live in these things. Go ahead and read the science journals, and you can disagree with their, with their, what they're postulating to you all you want, but read what they're finding, and you can just sit there and go, man, look what God has done. That's the perspective that we as Christians need to have. Go ahead and let them dig. They're going to come up with the wrong answers, but they can't refute the facts they find in the dirt or see in the stars. And we can look at those things and praise God for who he is. And remember, the whole point of this lesson is he's everywhere. Does the universe, by the way, have a, an ending? Is it finite? Can you answer that question? You can answer that question. That, yes. that is, it is. Okay, it's finite. It has an ending. In fact, they know it has an ending. At least as far as our technology can tell us, there's a place where all the stars just seem to stop. And there's nothing out there but black. Okay, they're wondering why. There's nothing. They're going to hit the wall out there. Well, I know why they hit the wall, because God made 
the universe, and it stopped at that point. Okay? So, but he's out there and he's controlling all things there. Okay, any questions on this? I might be able to get another, wow, we might go to the next one, which we've kind of been talking about. Any questions on, on omnipresence? Let me help us, though, as we relate to these things here. We're talking about worship. Is God here in this room at this very moment? Yes, he is. So when we as a church meet to worship God, your thought process should not be, I hope all my prayers reach heaven, or that our worship and our song is loud enough to reach heaven. He's here at this very moment. His spirit is hopefully amongst us, okay, and Christ is within our hearts. There's a whole lot of God right here, okay? And sometimes we think that we're isolated in this little box, this building here, and uh, we're hoping that we're heard by God. Let me tell you, he hears. He is here. He is watching. He is seeing. He is observing. And hopefully that our worship is being sanctified by the Spirit and that it is acceptable to God. So I'll tell you, some of the scariest moments that I've had in church was when the realization of that hit me, especially in the process of worship, that what I was doing at the very moment that I was doing it was being observed by the person who I was trying to worship. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of of the living God, okay, and the fact that the living God is sitting, not sitting, but here with us, ought to, ought to wake us up when it comes to worship. He's not afar off. He says that many times in the scripture. I'm not far off. I'm right here. George had a comment. Yeah, I remember in theology class that the teacher was talking about the fact that God is not like a, like smoke in a room. Right. That dissipates. It's not that he spreads himself out. He's equally as powerful wherever he is. And that goes beyond anything that we can comprehend. Because it's not a, it's not a diffusement of him, his being. Right. But that uh, it, uh, he, he stays the same no matter where he is or, or to what extent he goes. Right. God cannot be diluted. Yeah. Everything else in this world that we've at least come into contact with can be. But not God. He, his essence is 100% God all the time. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Pastor, go ahead. Oh, it shows, too, in the scriptures, the ignorance of man. You have constant state, statements to the effect that, well, God doesn't see me, or does God know? They even ask that question. Does yeah. God know when they're talking about their sin and stuff? And it's because the Old Testament is full of these people who have a pagan concept of God, and, and they're talking about their little idols and so forth, and they can turn Junior, Junior's face to the wall and say, God doesn't see me, you know. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of silly, but that's exactly the, the way they're thinking about God. Because mankind is limited. That even a superhuman can't be everywhere. Right. Okay, that's part of their issue. That's why, we, that's why that idea of God fails in this night of him. A superhuman cannot be everywhere. And if the superhuman could, we know that humankind has limitations and therefore the dilution, diluted or diffusion of that essence, if that was possible. Just logically speaking, because everything decays apart from its center, all those things are staying true. So we constantly will call, fall short when we consider those things. And that's why human mind says God can't possibly see me. We're two steps away from God. Uh, the angels are another category, yep. and the man is made a little lower than the angels. So we've got God and angels, and now, you know, man, mm -hmm. and then below us is, is animals and so forth. But, but those stages, uh, again, um, we need to reckon with those kind of things. 
I think also <coughs> in, our, in our worst moments, when we are in the process of conceiving sin, thinking about doing it, and then finally doing it, we also don't think God conceived of that one. Okay? Think about it too. And what's our, what's our reaction if we pretend that we can hide from God? It's Adam and Eve's response. Okay? The idea that God was walking amongst the garden and he says, where are you, is not again to, to find out information. God knows where they are. He knows what they've done. It's an object lesson they're learning. Where, how far they've come at that moment, because they've hid themselves from God. Behind the trees of reasoning. <coughs> what is that? Behind the trees of reasoning. Behind the trees of reasoning. Yeah. In other words, they hid behind the tree because they said, if God doesn't see me, or if I can't see God, God can't see me. Right. And that was that our, that's our faulty reasoning. Right from the get-go. From the get-go. Yeah, as soon as it happened. Fox News did a funny little thing this week with children playing hide-and-seek. And uh, they did cameos of, of, that the parents set in. So the kid would hide behind the, uh, the shower curtain in the, in the bathroom, but his feet was sticking out. <laughs> or they would uh, crawl inside of a lampshade because the lampshade was on their head, <laughs> all the rest of their body sticking out, and they thought that they were hidden. <laughs> That's mankind all the time. Yep. He's, he's doing these silly, stupid things as though God were no more than us. Right. And, and that God had one vantage point. Yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah. How many vantage points does God have? Yeah. All of them. Okay, you can't hide behind something and hide from God because he's already there. See, that's the thing. We forget about things. You can't hide from God because he's everywhere. That's the whole idea of the presence. Where can I go from your presence, Lord? The soul of states. Where can I go? Is, is the rhetorical answer is nowhere. I can't yeah. go anywhere. In the yeah. book of Jonah, Derek, not mm -hmm. to mess you up, but Jonah thinks about the fact that he can run from God because God is described as the all-seeing God. In other words, he supposedly has four faces. But if he's not looking at in this direction, if he's looking in another direction, then Jonah thought that he could get away from God and <laughs> that God would know about it. Mm -hmm. But it's the same thing as what you're saying. It, He's the all-seeing God, but in Jonah's mind, he's thinking, well, he can only look in one direction at a time. Yeah. You know. You want something else that I think will blow your mind as you think about this, but we don't have the capacity for? Always present, omnipresent, means that he is always the past, the present, and the future. Yes. Okay? How do we know? How, how, how does God prophesy? I mean, how does he let us know what's going to happen in the future? It's not just that he's planned it and his power will make it happen. It's because he's there at the end already. Yeah. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He exists. We don't. We exist in time because God created it. Well, there is that concept. So if you think God is, is being mastered by something that he created, or he, he did subject himself to it when he came as, as Jesus Christ, okay? And when he comes, he subjected himself to time. And he still is being subjected to time. But there's coming a time where time shall cease. Right? And then we won't have the concept that I had a beginning and an end of these things in the past. God is the always present one. Always there at the beginning and the end. You're not going to surprise him. He's there. It's just, just one of those neat things about God that we do not share. We will never share that with him because we have had a beginning. We may not have an end. But we had a beginning, and unlike God, who's never had a beginning, which we can't wrap our minds around. Okay, we'll at least start this. 
And because we've talked about it, 3A, God blank and blanks all things. We talked about this. He knows. Okay, he knows, but he cre created and sustains all things, including things we know of as well as things we have no knowledge of. When did the atomic level exist? Well, it's always existed. At the moment of creation, God made this. He made the flavonoids, which I mentioned beforehand, which make up the atom parts. Okay? And whatever God has made that is smaller than that. When did that happen? It happened at creation. That's when it happened. Okay? When did all those places in the universe come to be? At creation. It has a starting point, and He spoke it all into existence. Okay? But if you just stop and think about those words, He spoke it all into existence. We could go home at that and understand the powerful nature of who God is. We can't speak anything into existence. I can't speak a speck of dust into existence. I can do nothing like that. I can't even think of anything that I can speak and make happen. God speaks and all of this happens. Okay? That's, that's pretty powerful. But he also sustains all things. We have two verses. We'll look at these really quick. John 1, 1 through 3. Can you almost quote what this is without even looking it up, probably? Okay? And we have that? Who's the word? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And when he says he spoke things into existence, this is the same thing. The word that he spoke was Christ, and it happened. Through him all things were made, and had their be they had their substance. Okay? It what about Hebrews 1 through 3? It is helped me to think of Christ being the word as the eternal communicator of God. And he continues to be that mediator, yeah. too. Yes. But, it, you know, he has communicated to man uh, from his creation of man, and he's never stopped doing that. That's right. So he is the eternal word. And, and by him all things were created, and Romans tells us we're without excuse because of what's been revealed by, by through creation. It's all connected. All connected. How about Hebrews uh, 1, 1 through 3? In the past, God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay. You see, he's still using his word to sustain. God, this is the mode by which God <coughs> he speaks and it happens. And it continues to work that way. He speaks, and the, and the universe has its being, it's sustained, it's upheld. But we cannot control much in our lives. In fact, we've been off, I've, I've been told often, you can only control yourself. And even that's hard, because sin comes in and messes me up anyways. Um, but here we have God who is controlling all things. And the natural mind will try to comprehend these things and then switch off. Because when you're faced with something you cannot comprehend, it must not be true. Okay? And this is where natural man falls. When natural man considers these things, they get to a point, well, I can't even control, how can somebody control anything that's kind of superhuman? The highest rule that they have is themselves. And they're always going to fail. And that's why the presentation of the gospel is highly important. 
You're not going to win them on an argument of logic. You can, you can show them proof throughout creation that evolutionists deal with it every day. And they, their mind is blown. They cannot comprehend. It takes something that's not of ourselves to try to comprehend God and leave it with him. And that's faith. Okay? The only reason why we're able here to comp comprehend with God, and still fail, by the way, we, we fail to comprehend this. But we're able to say, he's worthy of worship. It's real. It's the truth that God is like this. We know this to be true about God. Okay? And that's why he's worthy of worship. It takes faith to understand these things. It takes faith to leave these undiscernible things with God. And that's the difference between natural, unregenerate man and Christian. Okay, and remember, the faith does not come by you. Faith like this comes from God himself. This he gives you. Right? All right, any comments on this one? i got to stop here. We'll, we'll do the, the other one. Well, we'll just say it. Let the three be is no one is blank nor his blank. Therefore, no, no one can blank his will. <laughs> What's the last blank at least? Can you give that one? No one can blank his will. Thwart. thwart. Yeah, good. Okay. No one can thwart his will. Therefore, I'm going to say, no one is stronger nor his equal. Therefore, no one can thwart his will. Okay. Stronger, equal, thwart. All right. I was trying to use some, some of the things out there. I'm trying to find Daniel. There we are. Daniel uh, 4.34. We'll look at this really quickly. Do you know who's talking in Daniel 4.34 before you look it up? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, good king? Holy king? No. Maybe after. Don't know. This is his confession of God. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? I love that passage. Because this smacks against with what Nebuchadnezzar was dealing with, wasn't it? He comes to this revelation about him and God after he is turned into a wild beast. Okay? And he's like... He can do whatever he wants with people. And I think the beginning when he says from generation to generation, he's talking about the eternality of God. It's that he's, he's beyond any of us. We're all going to die off. He's going to be there, continuing on and continuing on. So let that also help us understand that there's never been a battle between God and Satan, that he's wrestling with Satan. And it is possible that Satan, Amen. no. No. Satan's on a leash. Okay? And he's, he's doing exactly what God wants him to do. There is no possibility of this war going any other way. It was done when God spoke the world of the creation. It was done before the sin actually ever happened. Okay? We should never get into thinking like that. Okay? Never in, in, do we get into thinking like that. God, Satan's power was created. Satan is some form of a shadow of God. Okay? The angels are too. Some, and some, they're, they're made like him. But if we're unable to rise to those things, then neither are they. You cannot rise greater than the creator. We should never think that way. Okay? It's not a battle that's ongoing and Satan has a possibility to win. He doesn't have a problem. He's already lost. And it's not the opposite of God. No. It's that's not right. God at all. Yeah, that's right. He's not worthy of worship. 
even as powerful as God has allowed him to be, he is not worthy of worship. The only being worthy of worship is God himself. Okay. There are people on, on this world who worship Satan. Okay, and they hope he wins. <laughs> they're deluded. Okay, and they're worshiping a much lesser thing because he is a here's the word. He's a creature. He's a created being. Why not worship the one who created? Okay. Any other comments or questions? We got you. We're late. Okay, let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help us in the hour to come to remember that you are here amongst us, granting us life, providing breath for us, Lord, at this moment. I pray that you will help us as we worship to be mindful of the fact that you're here and you're listening and you're observing. And we desire to be those worshipers that you seek. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to do just that, that we would be worshiping you this morning in spirit and in truth. Be with all aspects of the worship service, from the prayers that will be offered, to the reading of your word, and to the preaching. I pray, Lord, that you will bless that and help us as the worshipers to listen and to actively participate in what's about to happen. We thank you for your son and for the reason why we gather here today. We pray your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name.